in Psalm 28 this morning. I'm going to give you a break and let you sit as I read. I want to read these verses to you. I want to bring, we continue our, our sermon series on gratitude. And this morning, in honor of Veterans Day, I want to preach a sermon called A Warrior's Grateful Heart from Psalm 28. And I want to read these verses to you. These are words of King David. He says, To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them from their due reward, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands. He will take, tear them down and build them up no more. But listen to how David turns to praise here when he says, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of, the, of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Um, I found this, this prayer. It's called a soldier's prayer. And this is King David who, uh, who will look at probably the greatest warrior of all the scriptures. But this soldier's prayer in honor of Veterans Day, says this, Lord, I ask for courage, courage to face and conquer my own fears, courage to take me where others will not go. I ask for strength, strength of body to protect others, strength of spirit to lead others. I ask for dedication, dedication to my job to do it well, dedication to my country to keep it safe. Give me, Lord, concern for those who trust me and compassion for those who need me. And please, Lord, through it all, be at my side. It's a soldier's prayer. And this morning we hear a warrior's prayer. We hear the prayer of King David here in these first five, five verses. And we learn from this uh, as we go through our lives every day. God wants us to be warriors. He wants us to be prayer warriors. He wants us to be a people of prayer, a people who lift our voices in prayer. It's wonderful to hear the voices of these two children this morning and give, uh, uh, proclaiming the glory of God to this congregation. And we have people who instill that in them every single week that they come here, Sundays and Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings. And they have parents at home who instill that in them because God wants us to be prayer warriors. He wants us to be uh, people of prayer. And David is a great example here. David is probably the greatest battlefield warrior that we read about in all of the scripture. We find King David there in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and he comes to visit his brothers who are supposed to be at war, and they're standing around in shame and in fright of a giant named Goliath. And David comes, just a little shepherd boy, and he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes and mocks my mighty God? And David, uh, the, just a young boy, says, 
I'll take him down. And we find out there in his heart at such a young age that he had a warrior's heart. The people of Israel would sing about David. They would sing and they would say, King Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. David was the greatest warrior of his time. But he was even as good as he was as a battlefield warrior, he was even a greater prayer warrior. Um, in my Bible, I, I use a coloring system. Uh, and I know some of you are thinking that I, you, you see me sitting at my Bible with crayons, and, uh, and, and uh, that's not how I do it. I'm, I'm a little bit above what some of y'all think I am. But I have a coloring system, and I, I, different scriptures I color for different reasons. I highlight them with different colors. And in, in all throughout the scriptures, when someone prays, when there's a prayer, I highlight it in purple. And as I begin to look through the Psalms, and I begin to look what David wrote all through the Psalms, there's not a page that I turn where I haven't highlighted something in purple where David was praying, and he was crying out to God, and he was constantly there before him. Prayer warriors pay a price. Those of you who have been on a battlefield and you have served, or you've served on a ship, or you've served in the Air Force, you've served your country somewhere in some way, you know that you pay a price. There's a sacrifice. Some of you bear, we have a couple of men in our congregation who actually bear physical wounds from the battlefield. And you know that that's a part of it when you go into it. As a Christian, when we go to become a prayer warrior, we're going to pay a price and bear wounds for, our, for being a prayer warrior. There's going to be a price of paid. Sometimes I go for months where God will wake me up in the middle of the night and, and I will have no other, uh, nothing else that he wakes me up for except to pray. And, 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 and there, there will be times, periods of times like that where that's the price that we pay is sleeplessness or, or whatever it is that God grows us into being a prayer warrior. Verses 1 through 5 give us a great example of how a prayer warrior would pray. In verse 1 we see, David begins to declare these words. He says, to you, O Lord, I call my rock. David looks at prayer as his first priority. David doesn't look at prayer as a spare tire. He looks at it as the steering wheel of his life. And he goes immediately. We don't know exactly. I read a lot of different scholars uh, about this chapter. We don't know exactly what his uh, situation is here. We don't know if it's going into a battle. We don't know if it is um, uh, of opportunities that King Saul had to take his life. We know that his son Absalom was in rebellion somewhere around this point. We don't know exactly what it was, but we know that whatever it was, David's first option is prayer. David knew the saying well, prayer is the best remedy for calamity. And David knows that it's his first option, and he says, I'm going to my rock. I'm going to the one that I know that I can stand firmly on and I know that is going to be there for me, my firm foundation. David is looking at his past experiences and he says, I know all the things that God has delivered me from. He's delivered me from Goliath, the giant. He's delivered me from King Saul when he had people out wanting to kill me, when he had a whole army of people chasing me and I was having to hide and, and live in caves and live in, in, in uh, a life on the run. 
He says, I know how he has shielded me from my son Absalom, who has turned part of my kingdom against me. David says, I remember all these things, and I know that God has delivered me from those things in the past, so I know that immediately when something happens, I know where to go and where to turn. I know where I'm going to stand firm and be able to pray. How many of you in your lives, maybe you've not been delivered from a giant named Goliath, but you've been delivered from a giant known as a disease, or, or you've been delivered from a giant known as joblessness, or, or, or some kind of difficulty that you had in your life, and you continue to pray. And when that happened, you know, you knew immediately, I know where I have been delivered before. I know how God has always been there for me in the past. And so I'm going immediately to my rock. I'm going to immediately from the one who has delivered me before. Now look, as David describes the situation that he's in, he's praying from a broken heart. He's praying from an agonizing heart. And he obviously has been praying for a while because he says, God, you seem to be silent to me. You seem to, you, don't be deaf to me. It seems like, God, I'm praying and you're not hearing me. And the silence is, is so overwhelming. Now I want you to stretch your mind with me for just a minute. And I want you to think about silence. And I want you to think about a deafening silence. A silence that is just, maybe you've been somewhere in a soundproof room before. Or, or somewhere where it was just completely quiet. You go into a library and they expect you to be Real quiet. Bring it down. Um, I live in a house where there's not been any quiet for, I think we've been there for 21 years. The first year we were there by ourselves, ever since then, there's just been no quiet. But think about that place of just perfect quietness. And, and think about just not, about for a minute, just not being able to hear anything at all, physically. Think about how um, you can't hear a word you can't hear a sound. It's just complete quiet. Now, think about that in a spiritual sense. Think about a time in your life where you have prayed and it seems like your prayers weren't reaching where you were praying. Think about a time in your life where you prayed a long stretch of time and it seems like God has been kind of silent. It seems like God is deaf to your prayer, and then in response, you hear nothing but silence. Now, that silence is loud when it's spiritual. Does that sound odd? That silence, when it is spiritual, it's very loud. And it's very uncomfortable, and it's, it, 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 it causes us to be uncomfortable. When there is deaf and silence in our prayer life, it's very loud to us when it's happened to us spiritually. And David says, God, I have not felt like you have heard me, and I've not heard from you in so long, and this silence is becoming so loud in my heart and so loud in my spirit, and I am so longing, God, just to hear from you and to know that you've heard my prayer. And he continues to pray, and he says, God, because of your silence, I feel like you are, I'm, I'm like those who've gone down to the pit. Those who are just miserable. Those who are separated from you. Those who just don't have a feeling of your presence anymore. God, please don't, 
won't leave me in this place where I feel so separated. Now, we look at that first verse there. And David is very bold in what he says there. David doesn't come to God timidly. David doesn't come to God in some timid, weak way. David comes to God very boldly and he says, God, basically what he's saying, God, you're not hearing me and I'm not hearing back from you and I am miserable and I'm tired of it and I want to have that, I want to have that fixed and I want to have it fixed immediately. David is able to go to God boldly like this and he's able to go to God uh, quickly like this. This isn't the first time David's prayed in six or seven months. David has been praying every single day, two or three times a day, in a consistent manner. And David has a relationship with God to where he feels comfortable in going boldly to God and saying to God boldly, God, this is where I am and this is what I need and this is how I need you to respond. Do you have a prayer life like that? Do you have a prayer life to where you are going to God in a consistent, everyday basis and when you have these feelings like this, you boldly are able to go to God and speak to God in this manner and say, God, this is my situation, and I need you to help me. You see, a real prayer warrior like David, David couldn't be content without an answer to his prayer. And God's voice, think about this, God's voice had rattled the universe. God, David knew that with one speaking of God's voice everything that all the beautiful psalms that he had written about God's creation with one whisper of God's breath he had created everything that David had seen in his whole life but he also knew how 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 God's silence is equally just as great to a prayer warrior and David wanted the greatness of hearing God's voice and not knowing the greatness of God's silence. So he prays this prayer in verse number 2, and we'll see how it's answered later. He says, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Think about these voices. He, David is crying for mercy. He's on his knees begging God. Have you ever been in that agonizing situation well, you're begging God in this situation for his mercy. Well, I thought about this as I was writing this, and I thought about those times when I was a kid, when I was in trouble. And I, I, you, ever, you, you, you remember when you were a kid and you were in trouble, and you'd pray those prayers to God, if you just get me out of this trouble, I promise I won't ever do it again. I promise, I promise God. You'd try to make deals with God. Did you ever win? Never. Well, I remember one time I got in some serious trouble at school. Bryson's not in here, so I can tell this story. I got in some real serious trouble at school, in elementary school, and it was it was serious trouble. And I got a whipping, and I mean it was a bad whipping. Mr. Sherman Mears, he tore me up. And the last words he said to me as I was walking out the door was, you lucky I don't call your daddy. I'm in the fourth grade. He says those words to me, you lucky I don't call your daddy. I thought, well, my daddy's at work, so I got that one made. But guess what? Out of all the years I was in school, my dad never picked me up except what day? That day. 
And out of all the out of all the days that my dad, who was one of the most prepared people who ever lived, from my dad's battery to go dead in the traffic line at school was that day. And guess who my dad had to go into the school to see to use a phone? And guess who was on their, on their little hind end with his hands in front of him saying, Dear God, please don't let Daddy talk to Mr. Mears. Please don't let Daddy. Dear God, I'll do anything. I'm begging you, Lord. Please don't let him talk. And guess who Daddy talked to? It wasn't just that simple phone call getting somebody to come jump in. Guess what? Daddy had a long talk with Mr. Mears. And guess what happened to Michael when Daddy got Michael home? All that praying, there was another whipping. I got that whipping at school, and then I got home. Some of, some of y'all don't understand this. I do real well. I, I got that whipping at home, and then I got and I was praying all the way home. When, when I got in the car with Daddy, I was praying all the way home. God, please don't let him whip me. Please, if you, I, I will never do anything bad again. I promise. How long did that last? Those soul, you remember those, uh, David is praying that, David is praying one of those, God, please give me, I need your mercy. It's an agonizing, soul-crushing prayer. Now I want you to think about this. David is the king. David is the king of the most powerful nation on earth. David has a kingdom that stretches out of, uh, in front of him. David could easily be sitting in the palace and he could easily be living a life of leisure and he could easily say, I'll leave all these things up to others. But the king of this nation is on his knees before God and he's not just praying for himself. Who else is he praying for? He's praying for the people of his nation. That's who he's praying for. That's the people that we need to vote for. Those are the people that we need to understand. Those are the people we need to know, hey, the questions that we need to ask them, what, what, not what's your stance on this or that, but what's your prayer life? Who are you, are you going to be praying for me? I'm going to be praying for you every day, but are you going to be praying for me every day while you're there in that elected office? But the anointed king, God's anointed king, is willing to be in agony for his people. Now, this is so much like Jesus. So much like Jesus. If you're in the same Sunday school literature that I was in this morning, you studied a little bit of John 17, the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed. Now, these are Jesus' final moments before his arrest and betrayal. These are Jesus' final moments before he knows that Judas is going to bring people there to have him arrested and betray him and going to lead him to a cross at Calvary. Now think about if you knew that you had about 24 hours before your life was going to end, and you knew that for certain as Jesus did, what, what, what would you be doing? Back here on the back row, y'all thinking about that last meal. Yeah. Donuts. Jesus knows that he is about to depart. He knows the anguish that the men he's been leading, he knows what the, the anguish that they're going to be in, but he also knows that those 11 men who are left are going to be responsible for the establishment of his church 
and he needs them to be strengthened, and he needs them to be undergirded, he needs them to be fortified, and so he begins to pray for his disciples. And not only that, but he prays a prayer for you and I who are sitting here this morning. He spends that Jesus, the, the Son of God, God, God the Son, incarnate on this earth, he spent his last moments praying for believers. In verse number 9 of John 17, he says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus was praying for the people that God had given him and for the people that God would give to him later. He's praying for them to be strengthened. Jesus, David is modeling here what Jesus would do later. David said that he would lift up his hands in the holy sanctuary on behalf of his people. David didn't just see himself as the king, but he also saw himself as a priest representing the people. And so he says, God, I'm lifting my hands towards your holy sanctuary on behalf of your people. He says, God, please. In verse number 3, he says, don't drag me off with the wicked workers of evil. He says there's a definite, there's a group of people, God, that I don't want to be identified with. There's a group of people that I don't want to have any part of, God. And I feel left out and I feel alone. And I feel like you set me up right there with that group of people. Paul would uh, recognize this, uh, a group of people like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verses 9 and 10, Paul would say this to the church at Corinth. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. David is saying, David is saying here to God, God, it's like you have put me in with this group of people and it's like I just don't have any fellowship with you. He goes on to say, God, these are a group of people who, who claim that they have peace with their neighbors while all the time they have evil in their hearts. He says, give them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give them according to the work of their hands. Tender them, render them their due reward because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands, but he will tear them down and build them up no more. He's saying to the, about this group of people, he's saying evil, evil is their consistent practice. They don't recognize you, God. They don't recognize the works of your hand. They don't recognize the beauty of this world that you've created. They don't recognize the holiness and righteousness that you represent. What they, what they recognize is that they consistently practice evil and that they're comfortable with it. They have no conscience about it. And Lord, I don't want to be numbered with those people. I want to be clean in my heart and pure in my practice. They have regard for their works, but they don't regard yours, God. They place their efforts above your righteousness. Jesus would say in Matthew 23 and 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will last forever. And David is, David is very aware of this, 
that this group of people who have no regard for God and have only regard for the works that they do, David is very aware that their works are going to pass away and that their evil is going to pass away, but God's word is going to last forever. And so David prays this prayer of a prayer warrior, but there's all of a sudden, in verse number 6, something changes. Our psalm was prayer up to this point, and now it turns to praise. Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor of the churches in London, said this, They who pray well will soon praise well. Prayer and praise are the two lips of the soul. And in verse number 6, it becomes obvious to me and to us as we read that God has answered David's prayer that he prayed in verse number 2 when he says, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my plea for mercy. Now this overwhelming silence that David had had spiritually, David has been answered, and now that overwhelming silence that he had felt, David says, I have got to praise God just as loudly as I can. David says that no longer is God silent to me. He's answered my prayer, and now I am going to praise him just as publicly as as I privately prayed. Our privilege, we have the great privilege to tell others about answered prayer. What is our human nature? When God answers our prayer, what, what, what is our human nature? Our prayer, we, we may have prayed agonizing prayer, we may have prayed um, not a day and night about something, and God answers that prayer so many times what do believers do? Just forget and move on. We don't thank him. We, as great a privilege, the greatest privilege that we have in this life is the privilege of prayer, but it's just as great a privilege to be able to tell others and to thank God for that answered prayer. We, we have on Wednesday evenings, we have a sheet of people that we pray for on Wednesday. And some of those names are on that list for months. Some of those names have been on, the, on that list for a couple of years. And we, re, we pray for those people constantly. And we pray for them. And what is so wonderful is at some point to get a card or a note from those people that says, God healed me. God answered this prayer. God took away this that was in my life. And I just want to thank you for praying for me. And then we, as a collective group on Wednesday evening, get to have a praise together about how God has answered the prayer of this individual or the individual families that we've been praying for. David gives us this great example here. He's prayed this agonizing, soul-crushing prayer. God has answered his prayer. And now he says, I am going to let all the people know that God has answered my prayer. And in verse number 7, He's described God as his rock, the rock on which he stands in, in verse number 1. And now in verse number 7, he goes and says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. David says, I was standing firm on that rock, and I was praying, and now that prayer has been answered, and I'm going to pick up my sword and my shield and I'm going to move forward in this daily battle that I'm in spiritually. And I'm going to go and I'm going to conquer. And I'm going to be a warrior for him. 
David knew the importance of his sword and shield on a battlefield. In that first battle that we see him in with Goliath, they tried to put King Saul's armor on him, and he's just a teenage boy, and that armor almost weighs him down and, and takes him to the ground. He can't hardly even pick up the sword that they give him. And David knows that the sword and the shield are so important to him on the battlefield, but he knew even better in his personal prayer life and in his praise life how much more important it was for the Lord to be his strength and his shield and for the Lord to be where he went in his life. Think about Jesus' disciples and the great question that they ask him in Luke chapter 11, there in verse 1. They, 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 they go to him and they say, Lord, teach us to what? Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. They could have asked him anything. And they had witnessed, but they had witnessed his consistent daily prayer life. They had witnessed how he went away and prayed alone. And they had witnessed, because of that prayer life, they had witnessed his power over the evil of this world. And so they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he begins his prayer by praising God the Father when he says, Hallowed be thy name. Your name is holy. Your name is sacred. And as I begin my prayer, I'm going to begin it by praising you, by saying to you how holy and how sacred you are before I even get started. Jesus was, pub was one who publicly praised. He taught his disciples. There in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, it says that Jesus sang praises. Jesus, as they were departing there from the upper room and leaving, Jesus sang a what? He sang a hymn with them. And he praised with them for the time that they had together. As much as we pray, we should also be people who are praise, praising God. David said in that, right there in verse number 7, he said, my heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. David set the example and standard for his people. David set the example and standard for his people in prayer, but he also set the example and standard for his people in his praises. We see him publicly leading processions as they are coming back from victories in war, and he's ahead of those processions, and he's dancing and praising the Lord. And he says, my heart exalts, and I'm going to praise you with my song. I'm going to give you thanks. David is a musician. He has that great talent of a musician. It was wonderful this morning to, to be here and to, and, to, and to look and to see this side of the, uh, of the room over here uh, of the stage with uh, the musicians. If Darren has taught me anything, and y'all know I don't know a thing about music, but Darren has taught me this, that what happens here is so important to what happens over here. They two, the two join together they have to, and, and they feed off each other. And man, it was wonderful to hear. I had never noticed that before. But this morning to hear how the piano and the keyboard blended in with the, the instruments over here, and I, and I praise the Lord for that. These people have a gift that I, I, don't, I can't come up here on this stage and, and use a gift of music. Oh, it'd be awful. It, it wouldn't be a gift, I promise you. I have actually had youth sitting here with me 
asked me, they would, they would tap me on the shoulder and say, can you not sing? I'm serious. I've, I've had them do that before, so that's not my gift. But this morning, each every, uh, these, these people on the, uh, at the instruments and in the choir, they're using the gift that God has given them to thank God and to give praise to God. What gift has God given you? It, you may not be musically inclined, but what gift has he given you? If you, went, if you went into a Sunday school classroom this morning like I did and someone stood in front of you and taught, uh, uh, and taught you, God has given them a gift. God has given them a gift of teaching. And they're not just teaching, they're, they're praising and giving thanks to God through the gift that he's given them. Don't let your gifts sit and don't, don't not, um, that's not good English. Um, don't not use it. Is that good? That's not good. Brandy, is that, that's not good. Don't not use, okay, all right. I can't think of how to say it. Don't not use it. If God has given you a gift, use that gift. Don't let that gift sit dormant. David had a gift. What if David had known that he had this great gift of music and he had not used it? There'd be a whole section. You could open up the middle of your Bible and the Psalms wouldn't be there. I read the Psalms twice a year. In my daily, in my daily Bible reading, I, I read the Psalms twice a year. I learned so much. You can, you can go through my Bible, through the book of Psalms, and you can see where I've written notes about my children and about our church and about what if David had, had taken that gift and he said, oh, I just don't feel like it today. I, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to nursery. I did nursery 20 years ago. I, I did my time. I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to use this. Uh, let somebody else do it. Don't. Don't let, don't cause other people not to be blessed by God because you're not using your gift. Amen? Use it for praise and thanks. He says, as David said in, in, in his prayer, that he was praying on behalf of his people. Now he's praising on behalf of his people. He says, the Lord is the strength of this people. And he says, God is the refuge of his anointed. How many of you this morning had ever sang the song that we sang this morning, The Mighty Fortress is Our God? Raise your hand if you've ever sang that before. All right. I asked Darren to play. I asked Darren to use that song. That song is 500 years old, over 500 years old. Martin Luther wrote that song back during the Reformation. God is our refuge. God is our fortress. Now, y'all want to know, that's the kind of music I like. All right, it, most of the music I like is about 500 years old, so we, we won't sing a lot of them, but I ask him to sing it because it fits so well with this. God is our refuge. God is our fortress. There is evil. There is great evil in this world that wants to destroy us and cripple us and keep us from accomplishing what it is that God has for us. But, but as Martin Luther said it so wonderfully back then, God is our fortress and God is our refuge. I've been born again. And from the moment that I was born again, God became my fortress, and God became my refuge, and God became my source of strength. David wrote in Psalm chapter 9 and verse 10, Those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those 
who seek you. Jesus said it so wonderfully as he, he wanted, as he longs to be our refuge. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said these words to a great crowd who gathered around him, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus knows you. And Jesus wants to take the burden that you have. He wants to take that agonizing prayer that you're praying. And he wants you to give it. He wants you to seek him. And he wants you to lay it at his feet. And then we have that opportunity to praise him. And David finishes this great psalm with this verse. He says, save your people, bless your heritage, be their shepherd, and carry them forever. This world looks this world looks uncertain. This world looks unsure. If you see it, I've told y'all this before. Um, on, elect, on, on national election days, I see it from the time that, that, that I can in the afternoon until they go. I, I'm, you know, I follow it all. That's just I've been that way since I was a boy. I I I, I am I'm really in tune and really um, know, I want to know what's going on. And I watch those things and I want to know who's going to be representing and who's going to be elected. I want to know what direction the country's going in. And if you look at the situations that we're in right now, it almost looks hopeless. It looks like we are never going to, um, President Reagan in the video that we talked, that, that we showed earlier, he talked about in our darkest moments how after those dark moments we're able to come back together and be united and move forward. And we live in a day and time, and, and maybe some of you have lived in different day and times um, and remember a, a division like this, but I don't remember a division like this. And it looks, it almost, as, as if you look at it and you, 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 you keep watching and you keep seeing what's going on, it looks like we're never going to come back together as a nation. It looks like this divide is just going to continue to grow and to, and to become worse. But David prayed this great prayer that he prayed, and he gave this great praise, and later on this great nation that he led would be divided, it would be conquered, it would be destroyed, it would be overran, and all the riches and all the things that they had would be plundered. Guess what? In all those situations, who was still in control? God was still in control. And I want to tell you this morning that God is in complete control. Red state, blue state, purple state, it don't matter. God is in control. And don't lose heart and don't grow weary and don't faint because God is in control. And God is going to use whatever happens for his glory. And for his honor, eventually at some point. And as you pray, pray. Because David, David prayed agonizing, soul-crushing prayers, not just for him, but for the people that he, he governed and he ruled. And we need to continuously remember 
the example of David, the example of Jesus before he, before he went to the cross, they did not stop praying, and we can't either. And when it feels like sometimes God is not hearing our prayers and God is silent in response, know that God is still there and God is working on our behalf and God is working on behalf of his glory and God is going to be in control not just as this earth continues on but for eternity. And take heart in that and worship him and praise him and continue to give him praise until you can't. With your, with your last breath, continue to give him praise. I'm going to ask Darren to come and lead us in a time of invitation, a time of worship, a time of reflection. Maybe you're here this morning and you just need to cry out to God as David did. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to praise God for how he's answered a prayer in your life this past week. Right now would be the perfect time for you to come here and to pray. Maybe you want to continue to pray over these children that will receive these boxes, whatever it is you need to pray about, right now would be a wonderful time for you to do so. Maybe you heard me use the phrase earlier that I'd been born again. Maybe you want to experience and know that. What, what, what do you mean by that? That my sins are forgiven and I've turned from my sins and, and, and Jesus is my life for eternity. Maybe you want to come this morning and know that. Whatever it is you need to do this morning, right now is the time to do it. Would you stand? Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to, to lift our voice in song and praise. And Father, I pray that no matter what it is that we need to pray for this morning, I pray that we would boldly come to you as David did and that we would pray until we know an answer. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.